1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, our guy is back after buying his salad. It's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire, <laughs> of the USA Today Sports Media Group, and 95.7 The Game. We kid, of course. Kyle purchased a home. He wasn't with us on Thursday, so we had Nick Wagner. Uh, if you didn't listen, uh, it it was a good episode and and the really joke good. is that that Kyle purchased a salad. I
2: was a <laughs> little, I was a little concerned that Nick I was going to get a call that Nick was replacing me. Uh so shout out to Nick for for stepping in his his whole thing about me buying a salad. I'm not sure if I'm happy or insulted that the idea of me buying a salad and posting a photo with me holding a sign about a <laughs> salad. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. That's just like super on brand for me. Like that's just absolutely something I would do, mm-hmm. um, and I, and like I said, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm gonna wear it as a good thing for now
1: and adjust later if need be. Okay, sounds good. Well, speaking of good things, uh, the 49ers are six and zero because they won a game in Washington that was not particularly aesthetically pleasing, and uh, it was really ugly. It was nine nothing. Kyle Shanahan basically said today that watching the film, you kind of just throw out everything that happens schematically and, and and you know in terms of what each team was trying to do on either side of the ball, and you just look at the effort because that's all you really could look at. and And he said he told the team at halftime, you know, the team that wants it more is is going to end up winning this game. and And it's cliche, but I think it's it's apropos because that's essentially what happened. The Niners wanted it more. They were more talented. They, they played a better brand of football on just a really horrendous surface at FedEx Field. Of course, FedEx Field is notorious for having awful, awful turf typically. And so when we got to the stadium on Sunday morning and saw how how much it was raining, it was very clear that it was going to be a tough, tough game. And the rain didn't really stop at any point. Um, and so it was just really an ugly offensive game. The 49ers didn't get in the end zone. Jimmy Garoppolo was not sharp at all in the first half, but Kyle, I'm curious as to what that game was like on television, because it's hard to really get a grasp of, I mean, where we're sitting in the, in the FedEx field press box, this is my first time there. We're way down in the corner, sort of tucked down low atop the lower bowl in, in one of the end zones, which is the only press box I've been in that has a view like that. And I also had a uh, I was sort of between windows. So I had a nice little, like pillar, uh, right in the middle of my view, which, which was always, you know, always fun when you, when you have, when you can't see the middle of the field and you have to like lean to either side. Um, so I had a really, really enjoyable time at FedEx field, obviously, but, uh, I'm curious what, what the game looked like to you as you watched on television.
2: It looked like I was really happy that I was sitting on my couch and not anywhere near that field. Right. (laughs) It was, I mean, I I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was, it was such a departure from the norm. And I think if we saw that game on a neutral field, it's probably just kind of a thorough, like 24 to six, 49ers win. And uh, at least this gave it a little bit of novelty. And a little bit of something different. did you happen to see that photo of Mike person with the mud all over his face?
1: Yeah, I saw a few of them. I, I noticed throughout the game that Mike person, his uniform was just comically muddy. Like he looked like he was wearing brown. and it, <laughs> it, and it was it well, the funniest part about about like the the way the mud impacted how, how everything looked was when Jordan Matthews would come in the game because he played like three snaps or whatever, but you always knew he came into the game because his uniform was so bright and white that like, Mm -hmm. it was like he was running onto the field covered in highlighter ink (laughs) 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 and compared to everybody else. It was just such like such a sloppy game. And, and Kendrick Bourne echoed that, that point that you just made. He said, you know, he, he thought the Niners would have blown him out uh, if they, if the, conditions were better. And, and it's hard not to agree with them, just given the way Washington had played going into that game, uh, obviously at one and five. Now it's not a particularly good team and, and they're in all sorts of, of disarray right now. Um, but a, a lot of the guys in the locker room said afterwards that they had a ton of fun. It reminded them of you know playing when they were kids. And, and I'm sure a lot of people have played muddy football games on Thanksgiving and in, in the backyard and things like that. Um, So it was a throwback from that standpoint, but just it it wasn't the type of game you see very often in the NFL, given, you know, how much money is at stake, uh, usually how awesome all the playing conditions are throughout the league at most of the stadiums. Um, But it was just, uh, you know, the good thing about it, Mark, Mark Sessler of uh, he, he writes for the NFL's website said at two hours and 36 minutes it was the fastest game since week 16 of 2009 um so that was there was a bright spot the the teams were not running the or not throwing the ball at all so the clock kept moving and fortunately the the game ended pretty quickly
2: yeah i think that's where when when you're a 49ers team that's dealing with so many injuries those were the kind of conditions where like bad things can happen on super innocuous plays a guy slips into somebody's leg uh somebody you know on one of those sideline plays has a leg slip and go the wrong direction like it was I felt like I was physically cringing on every single play so I think getting that game over with as quickly as possible was probably for the best for everybody and the Niners got out of the game without any any additional injuries which I think was probably the best news outside of the win
1: yeah, there were only uh, 33 passing attempts combined for both teams. The 49ers defense was only on the field for 48 snaps. Uh, just a really, really strong defensive performance yet again, and, and that should be expected going up against that offense in, in those conditions. But uh, let, let's talk about some of the key takeaways first. Obviously, the weather really sort of defined the game, but Nick Bosa, Seven tackles, four tackles for loss, including one on the first series where he he did a good job of reading a pitch play on third down with Washington trying to trying to get a first down to extend their drive, instead having to settle for a long or not a long field goal attempt. I think it was 39 yards uh, that they ended up missing largely because of Bosa's tackle. He, he ended the game with that sack and had the slide where he went for about 10 yards Uh According to Pro Football Focus, through six games, 31 pressures for Nick Bosa, which is just insanely productive. And, and he, we've talked about him a lot, but he he deserves all, all the recognition he's getting because he already is one of the league's best edge defenders. So um, a good game for him. And, and it wasn't a situation where he could just pin his ears back and get after the passer because Washington was running the ball so often. And talking to him after the game, he said, look, I, I only had like three pass rushing plays the entire time. It was a lot of it was, you know, quick, quick uh, screen passes, uh, short passes, negating the pass rush. And, and the the one time at the end of the game when he did have an opportunity to rush Case Keenum, he got to him and ended the game with that sack um, and, and just the visual of seeing like the entire sideline erupt after the, after that sack and all of those guys running out on the field and sliding and making those rain angels or mud angels, whatever you want to call them. It was just a really hilarious visual. Like I've, I had never seen anything like that.
2: I want to, I want to jump back to that play. You were talking about the, the little shovel pass to Steven Sims on, on the third down play on Washington's first drive. One thing about that play It was the only play that took place for Washington inside the 49ers 20 yard line all game. The other thing is they they purposely that play is designed to isolate the defensive end on that side. And it's basically Keenum looking like he's going to pitch it left and the the defensive end has to make a decision between taking Keenum or taking the running back and then this little shovel pass is supposed to be there with the hole vacated by the defensive end who goes for the quarterback or the running back and Bosa played it perfectly. He stayed home. He gets a tackle for loss. And I think that was a really good, a really good example of not only is he immensely skilled, but he's such a smart player and he's not going to over pursue on a play like that. And I think we got to see yesterday, he impacted that game As a run defender, we've talked so much about his pass rush rush productivity, and it's been well-earned because, like you just mentioned, it's off the charts, but his ability to stay on the field and effectively stop the run is what's going to make him a, a Hall of Fame caliber player, I think.
1: Yeah. And you remember when Solomon Thomas and Solomon Thomas still has this issue from from time to time, it's overreacting to run fakes. Right. You're like you remember during Solomon Thomas's first year in particular against the Seahawks, Russell Wilson would they would do uh, zone read type plays and Solomon Thomas would go the wrong way almost every time. Right. And and Nick Bosa is already not doing that. He's he's as you mentioned, he's a very, very smart player on top of all of his physical skills and, and everything he brings to the table with just his skill set. Uh, the mental side of his game is super advanced, which which is probably why the 49ers feel comfortable playing him the, the second most um, along the defensive line along with DeForest Buckner. Only Buckner outsnapped him al- among the team's defensive linemen on Sunday, which is an indication of where Bosa is just from a developmental, standpoint obviously he's really advanced and from a health perspective because now that ankle is is basically fully healed and he's he's at he's as close to 100 percent as he's going to be all year um so that thing is probably not going to completely heal but he's playing at a really high level and uh and and pro football focus also has him credited with five sacks to this point uh let's talk about jimmy garoppolo for a little bit uh, a rough first half he had more rushing yards with 20 than passing yards, uh, 10. He was three for 10 in the first half. And, you know, some of that was was just sort of circumstantial. And, and, you know, the Niners are running the ball a lot. Some passes obviously squeaked out of Garoppolo's hands because he couldn't grip the ball very well. He had that fourth down interception early in the second half. But otherwise, he was actually really good in the second half. He went nine for 11 after halftime including eight for eight, um, after his interception in which he just basically stared down Dante Pettis and the safety read his eyes the entire way and and made the easy pick on fourth down. Um, but eight for eight after that interception and 141 yards in the second half, which is pretty good considering the conditions it's 12.8 yards per attempt in the second half. So you know, Garoppolo clearly wasn't perfect. He he would like to have a lot of throws back. I thought that 26 yard play to Kendrick Bourne in which set up a field goal, the Niners ended up scoring three straight field goals uh, to end the game, which, which was clearly enough. Um, If Garoppolo leads Bourne a little bit more, that's an easy touchdown, right? So Garoppolo underthrew it again. and, And we've seen Garoppolo do that under throwing deep passes and, um, you know, I'm curious to see how he adjusts with that as the season goes on, because at some point that's going to come back to bite the 49ers. Um, and, you know, the the good news for for San Francisco, despite not really being all that productive offensively uh, with just 283 yards, which was their second fewest of the year going back to week one, um, they, comp- they converted seven of 16 on third down, which is, you know, I think it's 44% which is right. It's not perfect. It's not ideal, obviously, but anyway, anytime you're close to 50%, you're doing a really good job. I know I said that on on a podcast, I think last week, but um, the, the teams that are leading the league and converting third downs are, are hovering around that 50% range. So even in those conditions, even with the fact that you're averaging just 4.6 yards per play, which is really low, For 49ers standards, given, you know, since Kyle Shanahan has got this thing moving, um, seven for 16 on third down is is really solid. And George Kittle said it after the game, like converting third downs is how you score. So the 49ers did get a bunch of important third down conversions. Kittle had a few of them. Richie James, long 40 yard touchdown, which was a really nice route by him to sort of fake outside and and then take it back inside over the, the middle of the field, just sort of dusting his defender. Um, that was a really big play in the game. So the 49ers weren't crisp offensively, and that's to be expected, just, just given how wet and slippery things were. But being able to convert 7-16 third downs, getting those field goals when you need them, and, and playing to that defense is, was all you really need to do because the Niners defense is just playing lights out right now, and, and you knew that it was probably going to take a, a pick six or, or a big turnover to swing the game for Washington to win. And when they did get that interception of Garoppolo, the 49ers had a three and out thanks to a third down sack from Eric Armstead, who has three and a half now, which is a new career high.
2: Yeah, it's it's for me with Garoppolo. I think that's the outside of the there's like two to four throws a game where you just kind of scratch your head and you you wonder what he saw or what what miscommunication happened that that made him make that throw the the throw to Corey Littleton against against the Rams really stands out where he tried to hit I think it was Debo Samuel on a slant he just stared him down and Littleton the linebacker stepped in front of it and dropped what would have been a pick six near the end of the first half he had the interception in the end zone against the Rams just like I said just kind of weird throws where you wonder what he's doing but outside of that it's it's definitely those deep balls again against the Rams he had that Northeast Goodwin down the left side that should have been a touchdown and he just kind of badly underthrew it. He underthrew that ball to Kendrick Bourne down the field. It's becoming a thing that that keeps popping up, and I don't know if it's a lack of trust in his receivers or if he's trying to just be too fine with it. But I think that's something they're gonna have to fix because defenses are gonna be able to come in and shrink the field against the Niners offense if they know they have to operate within like a like a ten or twelve yard box. And Stretching the defense vertically, I think, is really the last step this Niners offense needs to take. Because as soon as you stretch a defense vertically and complete one of those passes, all of a sudden, uh two for three with fifteen yards turns into two for three with sixty yards, and you're off and running to a huge day. So um I don't want to say it's a concern for me with Garoppolo, especially especially after yesterday with the rain. It's it's so hard to to take anything away from. A game like that. But it's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on because I really think that that's what's keeping the 49ers from from really uh, taking off offensively.
1: Yeah, if, if there is an indictment you can make of, of the team right now, it's that you haven't gotten that consistent play from Jimmy Garoppolo or that big game. And we thought maybe going into that game that that Sunday would have offered the 49ers that opportunity. But clearly the rain uh, per, played a big part in, in that not happening. But but back to the 49ers defense real quick. Um, they've allowed three points, seven points, and zero points in their last three games, uh, which is pretty good. And they're allowing 10.7 points on the year, which is just really remarkable. Patrick Willis one time, uh, back when he was still playing, said the goal was always to allow 17 points or fewer. Anytime the defense allows... 17 or fewer, they feel like they've done their job. Well, the 49ers are well below that throughout this season, allowing just 10.7. So obviously a really good sign there. 176 net passing yards over the last three weeks combined. I wow. think I need to repeat that stat because that's, that's be, because that's, of just how ridiculous it is. 176 passing yards over three weeks combined. God. Um, the, the Niners have allowed over 300 rushing yards over those same three weeks but just 176 passing yards net passing yards so that accounts for sacks um hang on, hang just on. I'm going to
2: I'm going to I'm going to look something up right now go ahead keep
1: going you just it's 100- really in- incredible work by by the defense for for a little bit of perspective they allowed 174 net passing yards in week 1 291 in week 2 to Cincinnati and 160 to Mason Rudolph and the Steelers and so the last 3 weeks 176 combined since the bye week Uh, and that's been without their starting cornerback Akella Witherspoon and they've been healthy otherwise defensively Um, but I mean I don't I don't know what else we could really say about the 49ers defense right now like it is just playing at a really really high level and you know I guess we should say that the, the caveat which we've mentioned every week so far is the fact that the 49ers haven't gone against an elite quarterback, and and they're not going to go against an elite quarterback this weekend either because the Carolina Panthers are going to start Kyle Allen, who we'll talk about a little bit more on Thursday. But the 49ers' schedule is going to get a little bit tougher. You have you have Carolina, who comes in 4-2. Arizona, after winning on Sunday, they're 3-3-1. Three, three they They no longer have a losing record. Then you have that Monday night game against the Seahawks. Then the Cardinals again. Then you have the Packers, the Ravens and the Saints, uh, which look like all three playoff teams. And two of those games are on the road. Then you host the Falcons. Then you have the Rams again, who played a, a, a good game on Sunday and won in, in Atlanta. And you finish off with the Seahawks. Yeah. So as we keep mentioning, the 49ers are going to get tested in the second half of their schedule. And it really, you know, it it, it starts this week with with Carolina coming to town. but. Um, if the defense keeps playing at this high of a level, I know some of these offenses are are going to be significantly better than what the 49ers have gone up against the last three weeks, but the Niners have proven that they're just going to be a really, really tough team to beat just given the way the defense is playing.
2: Yeah. And just to, just to give a little more perspective on that 176 passing yards in the last three weeks, um, there have been 159 games in the NFL this season where a team is thrown for 176 yards or more. Yeah. The Falcons and Cowboys and Chiefs and Chargers have all given up that many every game they've played. Wow. The Niners have done it th- in the last three weeks combined.
1: Good work by you with whatever uh, stat tool you're you're using there.
2: Uh, it's the Pro Football Reference Play Index, Chris. I, I, oh, you're just, give,
1: just giving away all your secrets.
2: Yeah. No. Propri- proprietary <laughs> data. I just flipped through some through some box scores real quick and figured that out. <laughs> um I'm tweeting that stat by the way.
1: Okay, yeah. While while you do that, I'll go through i uh, will I'll go, I'll go through a little bit of news. So, we're recording this on on a Monday night. Kyle Shanahan had his had his weekly Monday post uh postmortem press conference uh, this afternoon. And and I asked him about the report over the weekend that the 49ers were interested in, in trading for a receiver. And obviously the 49ers have not gotten a ton of production from their receivers. So, um, I asked him what, what level of urgency that the 49ers felt like, uh, that they, they needed to have going into the trade deadline, which is going to be next Tuesday in terms of, uh, being able to upgrade at, at the receiver position. And and what Kyle Shanahan typically says when, whenever you talk about trades is, you know, we're always looking to improve. We'll make a, we'll make a deal. If, if we think the price is right. And if we think it helps us, we're not going to sacrifice uh, our long-term vision for, for short-term gains, yada, yada, yada. Those are the things he says. Um, so asking him about the urgency he feels this year, he said, quote, I think less than we've had the last couple of years because I do see that there are guys in our building that I do think and I do think the answers are here. It was tough not having Debo last week. Marquise being a little banged up. We'll get both those guys back. So he says so he says Marquise Goodwin and Debo Samuel are, are gonna play Sunday or at least expected to play. Um, but continuing, Shanahan says, quote, the guys we have, I still think can continue to get better. We're still holding out hopes, too, for Jalen Hurd and, and Trent Taylor that they can heal up and hopefully return later this year. Um, but, you know, he went on to say that they're always looking to improve and and he does like the guys that they have. So. I didn't get the sense that the 49ers, I mean, there, there are a few different ways to to look at that, I guess you can you could say, well, Shanahan is is keeping his cards close to the vest. And, and you know, if, if he's really interested in trading for a receiver, like an Emmanuel Sanders or a Mohammed Sanu, um, he's not going to come out and say it in a press conference, obviously, because he's not going to sacrifice any leverage he would have by telling the world how badly he needs a receiver. But I do think there's some truth to what he's saying in that he likes the players that he has. He doesn't want to stunt the development of anybody that he has, uh, to, by bringing somebody else in. He he remains really high on Dante Pettis, despite Pettis not having any catches on Sunday. Um, and, you know, if you do make a trade and it comes at the at the cost of Pettis' playing time, then what are you doing for Pettis over the long run? Are you stunting his development? Are you killing his confidence? I think those are things the 49ers are certainly thinking about. And I also think the team is, is going to be patient because they want to see potentially what happens with Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd. And Taylor is somebody we've talked about a lot on this podcast, hasn't played at all this season after having foot surgery in August, is on injured reserve, is eligible to return after that Week 11 game against Arizona. And if you get him back for the stretch run, that is a really big boost to the receiving core because we know he did what he is for, for Jimmy Garoppolo. So, so as quick, a reliable weapon out of the slot.
2: So, real quick, you're you're fully in on the idea that that Trent Taylor could be a a significant boost to the receiving core. Then,
1: if he's healthy, yeah. Not that, I that I, not that I, I not, that not, that
2: I, not that I think that's like wrong. Um, I, I think there's just kind of a general consensus among Forty Nine er fans, just from uh, hearing people talk on the radio and 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 being on the internet and stuff. I think a lot of people feel like the, the 49ers need to go get an A.J. Green or an Emmanuel Sanders or somebody like that to to impact the receiving core. But you think Trent Taylor might be might be that guy.
1: Well, I think they think Taylor might be enough. And and I don't know, you know, and I still think they're waiting to see because they, it's tough to bank on a guy who's injured. Right. Like, yeah, they they thought that Taylor was going to come back week two or week three. When after he had surgery to, to repair the Jones fracture in his foot. But what happened was he had soft tissue issues that prevented him from from coming back that flared up again. So the bone had healed at that point, but there were tendons or or other things in his foot that got screwed up while he was rehabbing. And then he had to go on injured reserve and give himself more time. So it's always tricky. And with Jalen Hurd too, it's even more it's even more dubious a proposition because we're talking about a fracture in his back Uh, and that could be super painful. And you don't, you don't necessarily want to risk coming back early. If, if you're at risk of, you know, doing further damage to your back or requiring a a surgery like Garrett Selleck had this off season, that's cost him a ton of time, which is you know, essentially shaving down a disc in his back because of a fracture that you have. Um, So that's really painful stuff. And it can be really complicated and keep you sidelined for a really long time. So I think the 49ers are going to be really patient with Jalen Hurd, but I'm not opposed. Like if I'm the 49ers, I'm certainly not opposed to somebody like Emmanuel Sanders or Mohamed Sanu, particularly if the price is right, because I think they they fit what the 49ers want to do on offense and they make sense from a contractual standpoint. I don't think A.J. Green makes a ton of sense because he's 31. He's still very highly paid and he hasn't played this season because he's been dealing with an ankle injury. Um, and so I, I just don't know if Cincinnati is is going to be willing to play ball with the 49ers in trade talks because I don't think it really makes sense for the 49ers to be giving away anything more than maybe a third or fourth round pick for a player like that. And Cincinnati undoubtedly would want a first or second or a package that, that adds up to something like that. Yeah. And with, with what the 49ers have on their roster, like they're eventually going to have to find another tackle, which probably means using a first round pick or significant free agent dollars. They do have to pay DeForest Buckner. They do have to pay George Kittle, Um, if Eric Armstead gets a franchise tag then that's 19 or 20 million dollars this offseason given to him Uh, so that space you need to start accounting for right now if you want to bring Jimmy Ward back who's playing really well it's probably going to cost more than the five million dollars he's making right now so it is more difficult to to make a trade for uh, an established player who's making a lot of money just just given what you have to think about in the future and and you can do a lot of things to clear up cap space. I don't think cap space is is really the big issue for the 49ers going forward because because of all the contracts that they signed, you can convert base salaries and the signing bonuses and shrink all of those all those different cap spaces cap hits, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Quan Alexander or Weston Richburg. Um you, you could do that with all of those contracts based on the way that they were structured. So that's not really an, an enormous issue, but it's just about compensation and the fact that you do have to reload the roster as you go forward, because not everybody's going to stick around. So, yeah, you know, I think that's why I think Muhammad Sanu makes the most sense. He's from, he has familiarity with Kyle Shanahan's offense. He could play X and Z and some F. Uh, he's a veteran. He's not costing a ton of money. And the Falcons are so bad right now that they might be willing to part with him on the cheap. Um, and and I do think that that would make a lot of sense because so, sort of this veteran leadership that we talk about with the 49ers and, and what they're lacking at receiver, I think Sanu would fill that void. And I think Sanders would, too. But I, I'm, I'm curious to see if, if, and when Sanders gets moved, what he gets moved for, right. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if a more aggressive team is willing to give Denver a second or third round pick for him, where you could probably get Sanu for a fifth or a sixth.
2: Yeah, that, and, and and Sanu has, uh, this year and then next year left on his deal, he has six and a half million dollars due next year. Whereas AJ Green, he would be a free agent next year. So, um, I think in the Niners offense and their kind of run-based identity, I don't think they really need a a number one AJ Green robo type of receiver. I think they need the exact thing you mentioned with Mohammed Zanou, a veteran who's familiar with the system, who's produced in this system before at, at at a at a high level. And just a just some kind of threat, a go to receiver that Garoppolo uh, in the rain on a on a third and seven knows that he can go to and and put a ball up and let him go make a play. Um, that's that's where I'm at on the whole on the whole wide receiver thing. I don't think we we do see Jalen Hurd and if they if Trent Taylor does come off IR or if they do plan on having Taylor come off IR they're gonna have a kind of a log jam at receiver. So that's something to think about as well, if they're going to go add a player and then also plan on Taylor coming off IR. Uh, but a 30-year-old receiver with one year left on his deal, I think is the exact kind of thing that Atlanta would would look to move since they're going to have to start thinking about a rebuild uh, just with with the start that they've had and just all the holes they have uh, up and down that roster. I could see them moving a player like Sanu for, for a fifth or a sixth-round pick.
1: Yeah, so real quick, uh, Joe Staley had... And another extended workout before the Sunday's game in Washington, Kyle Shanahan said that he's going to try to practice on Wednesday, which indicates there's, there's at least a chance that Staley is available for Sunday's game against Carolina, which I think would be really important because I think Carolina has the the best defensive front that the 49ers have played to date. So getting Staley back would be important if he doesn't play Sunday, getting him back to practice this week regardless would be important because the 49ers have a short turnaround Thursday with that Halloween game in Arizona. So getting Staley practice reps this week, I mean the 49ers probably aren't going to have a a real practice before that Arizona game. They're probably going to have a few walkthroughs leading up to that one. So getting Staley on the field this week is important. Akela Witherspoon had a setback with his foot injury uh, last week. Kyle Shanahan said it was a minor one, but initially Shanahan thought that Witherspoon would be available to play this game against Carolina. It could be that it's pushed back uh, maybe beyond the the Arizona game. I mean, I would imagine if Witherspoon isn't back on the practice field this week that he's not going to play in Arizona, which means maybe he, he comes back for that November 11th Monday night game against the Seahawks. Um, but I, I think Staley... Getting him back would would be a bigger boost than getting Witherspoon back because the defense hasn't really skipped a beat with Emmanuel Mosley playing on the outside. And I think the level he's played is is sort of an under underrated development of the last few weeks, yeah. just given the fact he's a second-year guy, former undrafted rookie who only played a handful of snaps last year before getting hurt. So that's good news uh, for the 49ers. Witherspoon and Staley are, are going to be back soon. Um, Marquise Goodwin – Marquise Goodwin and Matt Breed, a cleared concussion protocol. They're not going to be in it this week after getting checked for for head injuries during the game in, in Washington. They were both cleared to return. Um, so, so far, there are no lingering effects. And it looks like the 49ers are going to have them available this week.
2: Having that Thursday night game coming out of the the Carolina game is, is I, I think, kind of a bummer for the 49ers in getting some of these guys back because it feels like, if they played that following Sunday, I think they'd get Staley and Witherspoon back for that game. But playing on that Thursday, that's a that short week might might not give them enough practice time to to fit them back in.
1: Yeah, player safety. Let's let's uh, let's have guys play four four days after after games. That's <laughs> seems like a good idea by the NFL. Um, like like four preseason games. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. <laughs> Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and the NFL to cricket and ping-pong and everything in between Axios sports also highlights the most important stats and trends giving you the ability to stay informed it's super simple to sign up and it's free sports.axios.com not only will you be caught up you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies join the 100,000 fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins and the best and best of all There's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free 99 at sports.axios.com. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Kyle, I don't know about you, but uh, w- when I when I write about games on Sunday, I need to be I need to be really freshly dressed. I know. I or, or else I don't have a very good right. You
2: always make me feel super underdressed when I go to games. And yeah. last time I was standing out there and I was looking at all the nicely dressed people, I thought I need an Indochino suit to wear to these games. <laughs>
1: Well, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400 USD. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your own suit at your nearest Indo location showroom or do it all online yourself at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your initial purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal made for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. All right, so let's go through some winners and losers from Sunday. Um, I wrote about him a little bit, and and it was interesting that Julian Taylor had such a big impact on the game. He had a fourth down stop of Adrian Peterson uh, with, with Washington trying to extend their drive deep in 49ers territory. I think they are at the 28-yard line, and, and Taylor just made a really good play knifing through the offensive line and, and stopping Peterson for a loss along with Ronald Blair. Um, and then Julian Taylor also had the, the fumble recovery on the fumble caused by Quan Alexander in the second half that led to a 49ers field goal, which was obviously important given the fact that it wasn't a high scoring game. Um, so it felt like Julian Taylor was, was a really important player in the game. And, and I woke up this morning, looked at the snap counts, and he only played six snaps. Um so when you can impact a game like that uh after not being active since week two as Julian Taylor has, uh you're that makes you a winner in uh in the second half of our recap pod. Uh do
2: you have a loser? Yeah, yeah, I've got one. Uh Dante Dante Pettis. On the surface, playing ninety-two percent of the snaps is a good thing, especially for a guy who who played two snaps in week one and we were wondering if he was ever gonna see the field this year. He's on the field 92% of the snaps, so Kyle Shanahan has some confidence in him. However, he had zero catches. And I know the 49ers only threw 21 times. But no catches for a receiver playing 92% of the offensive snaps for a receiver that a lot of people thought. I, I, I certainly did for a receiver who, who would be really productive this year is not a good sign. Uh not writing Dante Pettis off, not saying that that he's he's not defining his season based on yesterday, but or I should say based on Sunday. We're recording this Monday night, FYI. That's not a good step forward for him though.
1: He was targeted twice, one of which was the interception, and you could make a case that Pettis could have done more to at least in uh, you know, try to ba- break the play up or be more physical at the catch point um, to to put the to be in better position and, and help Jimmy Garoppolo out a little bit. But I do think ultimately that was Garoppolo's yeah, fault. Pettis, you know. uh, I thought I thought Pettis ran a good route, and Kyle Shanahan said it after the game, and, and also today that that Garoppolo didn't hold the safety, or at least the safety too easily read what Garoppolo was doing. I, I had my binoculars on from that point, and I had a really good angle of the throw. And it, from where, from where I was, it just looked like a really easy interception and, and Garoppolo was staring at Pettis the entire yeah. time. So not a good play by Garoppolo, but yeah, to your point, I agree with you that, that the 49ers definitely need more from Pettis than, um, than two targets, no catches for a, uh, for a receiver who's going to be among the team's leaders, leaders in snaps. Yeah.
2: Not, not uh, like I said, not the end of the world, but definitely when you're picking winners and losers for week seven
1: Pettis, has to go on the loser side for me. Uh, winner, Eric Armstead. He had that third down sack after Garoppolo's interception, which was sort of emblematic of just what the 49ers defense has done to this point. Um, getting the ball back quickly, really sort of negating any negative feelings or, or momentum that Washington might have after getting that interception. Um, Armstead now has three and a half sacks. And that's a career high. <laughs> and, he's
2: he's he's been he's been a winner. I think of the season so far. I don't know if I'd call him like the team yeah. MVP or the team's best defensive player or anything. But for Eric Armstead personally and his career, he is winning 2019.
1: Yeah, you you talk about all the the good players the 49ers have on their defensive front. And so going going into the season, you say, all right, Nick Bosa is going to be really good. D Ford is going to be really good. And DeForest Buckner is going to be really good. And if you have three of those guys playing at a high level, the 49ers defense is going to be potentially great, right? Those three guys are playing at a high level. And then getting Eric Armstead playing like a pro bowler is, is just like a, a bonus that, is really like putting the 49ers up there with, I mean, it's, it's one of the elite defenses of the NFL through six games. There's, there's no real way to to slice it. Otherwise, like Armstead has been that good. And so now you're talking about four really elite guys playing at a high level right now. And so with Armstead playing like this, um, you, you do wonder how things are going to shake out with his free agency coming this this off season and, and we've talked about it a lot, but it's just going to make the 49ers have to make a really difficult decision, which could impact George Kittle and, and obviously yeah. Armstead's good friend in, in DeForest Buck. Yeah, and
2: just, just going back to yesterday's game real quick, it just makes the 49ers, I guess not yesterday's game specifically, but just the on-the-field stuff, it just makes the forty ers that much more difficult to defend. That you don't know if he's going to line up inside, if he's going to line up outside. Uh, he's 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 really showing why he was a first round pick. And and again yesterday, uh, just had a had a really clean sack. You mentioned it was his number three and a half for him, and and setting a career high seven weeks in. And he's been uh, you know knock on wood here, but he's finally healthy and playing at a high level. And I mean, just another another one of those players that the Niners are getting elite production out of that. I think they were banking on pretty minimal production.
1: Yeah, so loser from the game. Um, I mean, it's Case Keenum, but it's also sort of emblematic of like where Washington's at as a whole. I don't know what that organization has going for it right now. Like, I, I was trying to think about it on the flight home today. Like, what can Washington hang its hat on from, like, an organizational perspective? Like, the stadium stinks, and it's not like it's a, it's an old stadium. That thing was built in the 90s, and it's one of the worst in the league. The playing surface is horrendous. Uh, Bill Callahan is a fine offensive line coach, but he's probably not going to be their head coach. They're future franchise quarterback potentially Dwayne Haskins can't get on the field over Case Keenum who threw for 77 yards on Sunday uh you know is Haskins going to going to be the starter we don't know that we we don't know if the if Washington's going to be able to even bring in a, a competent head coach and it, and if they do is that coach going to want Haskins to be the quarterback that remains to be seen and if not then you've wasted a first round pick on a player that you're probably going to have to end up trading away. I just like Keenum is, it just sort of epitomizes where Washington is like, he's this placeholder quarterback. Who's not particularly good. Um, obviously not having Alex Smith and and his just really devastating leg injury is, is a big deal that, that, you know, has to be mentioned when you talk about Washington's quarterbacks, but I just don't, it's like a, it's, it's a rudderless mess over there, man. And like, I don't know how they're going to dig themselves out of it. And just given the way that organization has been run these last few years, I just don't know what qualified candidates they're going to get to want to coach that team. And, and I don't know how they're going to rebuild that thing because it's not looking promising at all for them. And, uh, and reading some of the coverage, it's like, you know, the columnists out in Washington, (laughs) they're, uh, they're not exactly treating that team with the kid's club. Did you see
2: what Washington running back Chris Thompson said about Dwayne Haskins? He went on no, 106.7 The Fan today in D.C., and he was asked, um, do you think Dwayne Haskins is close uh, Would it hurt him to play now? Do you think we'll see him in a few weeks? He said, quote, my honest opinion, I think he should continue doing what he's doing right now and continuing to learn, continuing to get better at practice. I mean, obviously, I'm seeing changes with him. I've seen him grow from April to now. And I think if given the opportunity, he'll be comfortable and he'll be prepared back there. But at the same time, my personal opinion, I wouldn't want him to be thrown in a bad situation. That's a member of the offense being like, the offense is so bad that we can't start the number, what was he, the number seven overall pick? That's that's pretty rough.
1: Yeah, so K-Skeen and Washington, losers. Uh, winner, Kwan Williams. Another good game. Had a good tackle in the flat. Just been really solid. Uh, really solid slot corner. Richard Sherman has come out like he has just about everybody. Uh, for, like he has for just about everybody on defense and and trying to get them recognition for, for the year that they're having. Kwan Williams has been really good. Um, and he was again Sunday. And I don't really have a whole lot of analysis aside from that. I, I thought coming into the year that Williams would be sort of the – expendable guy in the secondary and and jimmy ward would end up playing in the slot allowing Tervarius more to play free safety and, and sub packages but kwan williams has been good and and the 49ers haven't needed to go that route and so uh like you would think coming into the year that maybe slot would be a weakness of, of theirs um if the defense had a weakness but he's playing at a high level and right now the defense really doesn't have any yeah weaknesses.
2: that's 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 just it i was right there with you i thought DJ Reed might take over that that slot corner spot but not only has Williams not relinquished his starting job he's been really excellent he had those two he had that one bad series against Carolina where he he blew a coverage and then had a penalty and then gave up a touchdown but since then I I I haven't seen him make an outwardly bad play
1: all right final loser uh it's it's long snapper Garrison Sanborn um He's going to lose his job to Kyle Nelson in all likelihood this week. Kyle, Kyle Shanahan said Monday that Nelson is going to come back, rejoin the team off of that 10 game suspension. Kyle Nelson would be the 49ers fourth long snapper of the season, but I would imagine he would be their fourth and final long snapper this year. Um, So Garrison Sanborn, I think he's been snapping with the team for four, four games now. Um, So uh. Kicking has obviously been an issue for the 49ers, and it looks like help is on the way in terms of the the battery w- when it comes to kicking field goals. So Garrison Sanborn is a loser here because he's not going to have his job for much longer, and uh, you hate to see that. But when you're making winners and losers lists, sometimes it's uh, you don't you don't have to make the the prettiest. It would decisions be wild
2: if the addition of Kyle Nelson back into the into the special teams field goal unit was what Robbie gold needed to get back on track. If like the long snapper was the difference between the 49ers making and missing field goals after, after we joked all year about oh long snapper news and then the long snapper news actually mattered the whole time. I would enjoy that. That would be a fun, a fun little twist.
1: Yeah. Robbie gold um, made his last three field goals after missing one pretty badly with, with a good snap and a good hold from Mitch Wisnowski. I think it was a 45 yarder in the first quarter. Hooked it. Um, gold has not had a particularly good year and we've talked about it a little bit, but yeah, getting, getting help there would, would be important for the 49ers, particularly if it means more consistent consistency from gold. So uh, we're going to wrap up our pod like we did last week with the yeah. very coveted, award uh how the 49ers survived without Demontre moore award i'm gonna give it to the rain and the slop on on the field because the 49ers as good as their defense has been you just knew that washington wasn't going to be able to score any points when you saw just the way the field was playing and the way the rain was coming down and with the wind blowing Um, So that's how the 49ers survived Sunday without Demontre Moore. It was the conditions. Yeah, I I completely agree. All right. Well, that's it. On Thursday, we will have another podcast for you, or on Friday, more than likely, we will record Thursday previewing the 49ers game against the Carolina Panthers. We will talk to you guys then.